Okay, let's, uh, I'm going to kind of, I don't know why I want to use the word warn, but like tell you a little what the end of the like sermon time will be like. Um, a friend of mine that I grew up with like posted a thing on her stories and Instagram this week, and she was, she like, you know, has been not in church during COVID and then had a baby, so it was kind of laying low, and they've been going back to church um, finally, you know, the last few weeks, and she was like, I find myself feeling like being in a service that's like primarily sermon-driven is not like my top choice anymore because I could just listen on the podcast later in the week. (laughs) And she's like, am I the only one who wants like other things in the service besides just a sermon? And so I was thinking about that a lot. And so this is like my warning to y'all that at the end we're going to just spend some time kind of in like um, collective but separate like prayer, meditation, thinking on what we're going to talk about for a little bit. So y'all hang with me, and I'm going to really try to actually give you time in between what I say <laughs> to think, okay? Um, but yeah, we're going to start in uh, John 12. So if you have a Bible or a phone with the Bible on it, uh, we're going to start in the first verse, John 12. This is what it says. The title says, Mary anoints Jesus. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. There they gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. Mary took, uh, Mary took a pound of costly perfume made, up, made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of perfume, but Judas Iscariot, One of the disciples, the one who was about to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He he kept the common purse and and used to steal what was put into it. But Jesus said, Leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. So there is a like, similar or a version of the story in every gospel, right? Some people think maybe they're sort of mixed in. Um, could some be the same story? I don't know. There's, there's, there's parts that make them different, okay? But this is important, right? Like everybody thought this was important for us to see Jesus being anointed. Um, three out of the four probably happened in this time right before the Passover. And so um, I, what's unique about this one is that we know the name of the woman, which I like, and also we know that she anoints his feet, not his head, which would be more customary. So I want to spend a minute, like if anyone wants to toss out in reading this, this first reading, or maybe from what you've known before, like something weird from this passage, or something that stands out as like kind of bizarre, because I think there's a lot of things, so it's also, I can just tell them to you, but... Try not to make eye contact with people... Yeah, I actually read something this week that, I guess, John being written later, that, like, Judas had turned into, like, more and more a villain, so they were, like, definitely going to put that in here about him. (laughs) Yeah. For sure, though. Okay, that's, yeah, I know, please. Please. 
Yeah, like, um, well, so the question I asked that, I wonder, like, how many of us sort of identify with Judas? You're like, yeah, that's weird, Mary. <laughs> like, you know, like, or so, you know, so Brian was saying that instead of it being the practical, it's more about, you know, the love that she's showing to Jesus. But I for sure have for a long time identified with whoever it is. Every story has the naysayer that's like, what about the poor? And it's even weird to hear Jesus be like, leave it, where you're like, wait, no, this is confusing. All this time, you're like, totally for the poor. (laughs) Why now? Um, Yeah, yeah, for sure. Anything else that's weird about this? For sure, yeah, like, we're reminded of the story earlier of Mary and Martha. Um, Martha's still in the same role. Mary seems to be in the same role that she was before, too. Like, it was just a few days ago. <laughs> I love that. I didn't even think of that, right? Like, I mean, I was even reading, like, hasn't even been that long since Lazarus. I don't know if everyone heard, but, that yeah, like, she has this really expensive burial oil that then she, like, could have used a few days ago when Lazarus was actually dead. And yet, she's just holding on to it. <laughs> That's good. Uh, Yeah, for sure. I mean, and I think also, like, if we think of the time period, right, like, the whole display is, like, super inappropriate, um, really, for, right, this, like, single woman, she's, like, taking her hair down, interrupting dinner, the whole thing to, like, do this, right? It's, like, it's weird. Um, So I for sure grew up uh, hearing the story, being taught, like, see, this is how you're supposed to show your love to Jesus. And I don't even, I, I really was trying to think, like, I can't remember what the actual way was, but just like this lavish way that we're supposed to like pour out our love to Jesus. And like we were saying before, um, yeah, I like agreed with Judas. I didn't really know how to get around that, right? So um, I was not excited that this was the week I was going to teach, but, but curious to explore further like, okay, what else could this mean or, or how can my thinking be changed or moved or any of that? Um, Okay, so let's talk a little, which we did a little bit, about what happened like right before this. So like we were saying, not that long ago, Lazarus, uh, um, Mary and Martha call for Jesus. Lazarus, they're like, he's going to die. And Jesus sort of is delayed. He finally gets there. Lazarus is already dead. And then Jesus, I like this says, Jesus raises Lazarus to life. Okay, so he's not dead. And so then we're going to read a little. It's a little long, but starting in verse... um, 45 from chapter 11. So this is like the response to Jesus um, raising Lazarus to life. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what he had done, which was, right, raising, raising Lazarus. So the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the council and said, what are we to do? This man is performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and destroy both our holy place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, 
You know nothing at all. You do not understand that it is better for you to have one man die for the people than to have the whole nation destroyed. He did not say this on his own, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus was about to die for the nation. And not for the nation only, but to gather into one of the dispersed children of God. So from that day on, they planned to put him to death. Jesus, therefore, no longer walked about openly among the Jews, but went from there to a town called Ephraim, in the region near the wilderness, and he remained there with the disciples. Now the Passover of the Jews was near, and many went up from the country to Jerusalem because before the Passover to purify themselves. They were looking for Jesus and were asking one another as they stood in the temple, What do you think? Surely he will not come to the festival, will he? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that anyone who knew where Jesus was should let them know so that they might arrest him. Okay, so when Jesus, you know, finally is, is making it into Bethany from, um, I guess he's like in the, in the wilderness. So when he's making it in, like it's not safe. Okay, that's like that whole point. It's not safe for Jesus. He's coming in. Um, to town. And so my imagination kind of takes me. He goes to this house of his friends, right? So we see lots of stories um, of Jesus with Lazarus and Mary, Martha. So he's at the home of his friends, hoping or feeling just kind of like the safety for one night, to like be taken care of for this one night. And so um, I think a lot of times we see this scene as this really like beautiful, um, moving moment, right? Where Jesus, um, or where, where Mary shows her love for Jesus. Um, and I do think it's that. Um, but I think in reality that it's hard for us to see this as like a really, I don't know the right word, right? We said it before, like it's just, it's really inappropriate. <laughs> she's like, they're at dinner. She breaks in. She's not even welcome probably to be sitting at the table with them. And she comes in the whole house fills with the smell of this really strong ointment. And she's like rubbing, you know, like she's trying to imagine like putting her hair on his feet. They're both um, single people during this time, like touching each other. And it's, um, it's offensive, which, which Judas quickly points out. I think he's like, okay, stop this. But here's why it shouldn't be happening, all those things. And so I think we have to keep asking, like thinking further, like why is that why would she do this? Why is this story important to be put into the Bible? Why are we reading it? All of those things. And so kind of as I was exploring um, what other people thought, the two things that I think really connected and that I couldn't let go of, um, that the story makes me think of were this. So one is in the Old Testament, all the weird things that prophets do, right? These like physical bodily things that prophets do. So we have Ezekiel, he like eats the scroll, <laughs> It's weird. Uh, we have Jeremiah who smashes a clay jar when he shows you know, God's judgment. Isaiah who walks around naked and barefoot. So prophets use their bodies and, and to do really bizarre big things, right, that like change us. And then the other thing um, was how often Jesus had been telling his disciples, he had been telling them of what was to come, right? But we know that over and over they were sort of like, uh, not willing to hear him, right? So like whenever he comes to Peter and tell, or, you know, he's talking with Peter and Peter's like so against, uh, you know, so like not willing to hear, Jesus says what to Peter? Like, get behind me, Satan. That's so intense, right? Or like another time he's speaking to the disciples and, and saying what's to come and the, the disciples kind of end the conversation by debating who will be the greatest in the coming, in like in the kingdom to come. Like, 
thinking how Jesus would feel like. Okay, cool, guys, thanks, good talk, or whatever. You know, like, that's just, no one's hearing him. Um, and so then Mary comes in um, to her friend, right? Like, bends down to his feet and um, anoints his feet. So anointing is usually for someone who's set aside for a task, like kings, or someone doing something great, right, that's coming. But she doesn't anoint his head, she anoints his feet, which is usually for burial, And so what these two things, to me, bring together is that in this, like, totally upside-down world of Jesus is this woman finds herself in the role of prophet and priest, anointing Jesus before his death. And um, it's not that prophets, I don't think, are always telling the future, right? Because Jesus has already said it. Like, she's internalized that somehow. That's what happened. But that she sees this bigger picture of who Jesus is and and what's going to happen. And so then, you know, she's there at the feet of Jesus, and Judas interrupts, um, and Jesus says, no, let her finish, right? And so Mary continues to rub the feet of Jesus and um, wipes it with her hair. I'm going to read something to y'all from a pastor I really love who can say this next part way better than I can, okay? Barbara Brown Taylor says this, this was an act so lavish that it suggests another layer to her prophecy, There will be nothing economical about this man's death, just as there has been nothing economical about his life. In him, the extravagance of God's love is made flesh. In him, the excessiveness of God's mercy is made manifest. This bottle will not be held back to be kept and admired. This precious substance will not be saved. It will be opened, offered, and used at great price. It will be raised up and poured out for the life of the world, emptied to the last drop. And so today, I don't want us to read this story and think about what it means for like us, right? I think a lot of times we read things and we're like, okay, what's this mean for me? What do I need to like do or be, say? What do I need to do differently, right? But like, let this be a story about God's love for us. Like, the lesson is just that you are loved. And it doesn't have to be more. It can be. Some days you'll read this and it will be a different thing. But today I would love um, to spend the next few minutes um, being reminded that you are loved. And not that you are loved, um, like, in your head or because of what you've done or anything at all, right? That just baseline, you are loved by the Creator, beautiful and that like this is a story of a picture of God pouring out his love on you and so um, what we're going to do is this is a book that a lot of us actually that are in here read together about a year and a half ago for like a book study Um, it's called Surrender to Love and so I'm going to use some of the questions in here and so what I'll do is read a question and give you a minute maybe tops It's hard to sit in silence for that long together. But I want you to think about this, each piece, as we go through it. And then um, after the last question, I'll start the the liturgy and we'll have communion and and music together. But let's take time for this. Um, Of course, I can't make you think about it, but I hope that this um, kind of like resting in that love of God is something that we can, um, can do together, so... I'll give you a second to like take a deep breath and I know it's hard. So first, 
I want you to reflect on a world without love, a world with human beings not made in the image of God, a world into which God did not enter or to which God did not reveal their self. Allow yourself to imagine the despair of a life in such a world without love. Contrast this to the world in which you live. Allow the Spirit to bring to your mind the panorama of people who have loved you or prayed for you across your life. Think about what each has taught you about the nature of perfect love. Now reflect on the ways you have experienced God's love directly and personally. Picture yourself soaking in this love and notice what changes within you. For this last question, I hope that you'll carry this um, thinking into our time of communion, too. Finally, ask God to help you identify ways you still hide from God's love. Think of how you could spend more time near to Jesus, allowing his love to heal your deepest pockets of shame and brokenness. And ask God to show you the next steps God wishes to lead you on the transformational journey of surrender to perfect love. God, we ask um, that today um, that
that when we leave here, that we don't stop thinking about being loved. Something that I try to allow is, you know, just things during the day to be things that remind me of, of your love, God. Wind, kids laughing, um, my own, uh, my own just, just feeling of being loved, God. But I, I pray that so much, I think, especially us in this time, us in this church, um, that it's all in our head. We're all just saying that we know we're loved by God, but not um, allowing ourselves to actually feel that love. Um, let us be reminded that you give us lavish love and it is, it is only our job to, to receive it, to surrender to it. Amen.